Hey, good morning, family of God. Let's start by asking your forgiveness. We know that parking was a little bit of a headache. My wife at the first service was like, I am backed up to 635. So we're we working on it. We're gonna be working with DPD, those off-duty officers who are helping us out, but we're gonna make things more fluid. And uh, the five's got room too, if you guys wanna invite others to that also. I wanna begin today. Oh, wait, I didn't do it. Will you please forgive me? I mean, not that I did it, but we did it. I don't know, I work here, so. Thank you. Uh, next, I'm gonna start today by telling you about somebody you're, you're likely never gonna meet, maybe one day in heaven, but uh, her name's Miss Clemmy. And I tell you about Miss Clemmy and her life by how she reached another person's life. And so there was this kid who you know, was raised up by believing parents, raised in the faith, but around junior high, started to find his identity and worth and value in other things. And so went down a bad path, like found himself a member of a gang, got kicked out of one school by pulling a gun, a gun on someone, then went into the next school, hated it, just wasn't a good fit. And then finally, there was this other school that would take him, but the only way that they would take him is as part of a work study program. And so there he is, you know, while all the other kids are playing and having fun, this kid's on the floor scrubbing like sneaker scuffs off the gymnasium floor. And Miss Clemmy, this, this mom of a student, another student at the school, walks in, sees this kid scrubbing the floor, checkered past and all, and was like, hey, um, pushes through and says, there's this youth retreat. My son's going on, another one of his friends. Would you wanna go? Well, it was an expensive trip. It was from Baton Rouge to Florida, nice hotel, conference, all that. Kid doesn't have the money for it. But she says, hey, me and this other family, the Dantons and Brantleys, we're gonna pay your way if you would wanna go. Well, the teen doesn't necessarily wanna go to this like Christian conference. He's a punk, but Florida sounds nice. So Panama City. And so literally the youth group leader has him writes up and has him sign a contract. You will not do this. You will not do this. You will not do this. You will do this. And has to sign it. Beyond that, it was like, all right. And also, I'm your roommate for the weekend. Like you, me, and the two guys, you know, Miss Clemmy's son and the other son, we're all rooming together. I'm not letting you out of my sight. And so there it is, like speakers and David Crowder's there leading worship. But this guy would tell you like, his heart didn't move until they were, later in the middle of the week in their hotel room and, and the youth leader's like, hey, before we go to bed, let's, let's pray. And so the other two high school boys begin to pray. And this guy would tell you, I've never heard prayers like this. They were praying to God as if they knew God. He was only used to hearing like our father and hail Mary. And he's like, these weren't like memorized, recited prayers. They were, they were talking. And so then the youth leader, Matt McCoy gets to be the kid's turn, the gang member, this, this punk kid's turn, he's like, you know, awkward silence. And he's just ready to pray a memorized rote prayer. And what comes out of his mouth in that moment is, my life is yours. And he would tell you, he was born again, 
born again. I would say he would tell you because he's here. He's a member of this church. And he, he is now raising his kids in the faith because his value changed. He went from like lost, diminished, wandering value, being a gang member, like in trouble with, you know, getting kicked out of school, could have been with the law, with the gun, now has value in Christ. And now the values that he lives by has completely changed all because of one woman living on mission. One woman who herself was a Christ follower, now as she's walking through the gymnasium, rather than just walking past like, okay, kid, probably did something wrong, cleaning up the gym, stops and is like, that boy needs Jesus. And I'm, and I'm gonna step out in courageous faith, I'm gonna live on mission, and I'm gonna invite him to go to this youth conference. He's now a member of this body because of Miss Clemmy living out her values because of the value of Jesus Christ. And I long for that same thing to be said of us, that we would reflect because we have found our value in Jesus Christ, the one who gave his life for us, has ransomed us, redeemed us, now indwells us, that because of our value we have found in him, that we would now reflect those values, our values, to a watching world, that others, just like that punk kid, now a faithful member here, and you're gonna find out who he is later on, that we would reflect those values that others might come in, maybe not to this service because we're packed, but that others might come in and find a home with Jesus Christ. And so today we've been in the last two weeks talking about the vision of the church. That's the what. We have been transformed by Christ to love like Christ. That's the what. And now we're gonna talk about the how. The how is through these four embodied, lived out values. And in order to do that, we're gonna walk through the life of a person who's been called the first apostle to the Gentiles, not the 12 apostles, but the first sent one that Jesus said, I want you to go to the Gentiles. And you might think like, who's that? Who's the first apostle to the Gentiles? Bible trivia, you're like, Paul. We're not talking about Paul. We're talking about the Gerasene demoniac in Mark chapter five. The first one that Jesus said, I want you to go back to these 10 Roman cities, the Decapolis, to tell them all the Lord has done for you in transformation. So your roadmap today, the four values that we're gonna talk about in order the scripture is authentic relationships, then fully surrendered, then courageous faith, then missional living. We're gonna walk through those four values and the implications of living those out. So first, authentic relationships. Authentic relationships is to be fully known and fully loved. Torrin Wells, Christian artist, has an incredible song that reflects this value called Known. I commend it to you. So here's the context, though, as we jump into the scripture of authentic relationships. Before we talk about the Gerasene demoniac, in Mark chapter 4, right before Jesus lands there on the shore with the demoniac, this is when he says, let us go to the other side, and they get on a boat, Jesus and the disciples, and a storm hits, a storm like they haven't seen before, these trained fishermen, and the waves are coming up, crashing into the boat, the boat's getting swamped, like going down, they think they're dying, and Jesus is asleep, he's sleeping through the storm, he knows, I don't go down in, this, in the sea, I'm going to the cross, so he's not concerned, but they clearly are, and they're like, master, do you not care that we're perishing? He gets up, calls the winds and the waves, peace be still, 
sea becomes glass, they get to the other side. This is the context of what's going on. So all that sea and storm, now they arrive at the other side and you have verse one. They came to the other side of the sea, the Sea of Galilee, to the country of the Gerasenes. Now this is important. Like context matters. The Gerasenes, this is part of the Decapolis, 10 cities of Rome, but they weren't always under Roman control. Alexander the Great had come in to Israel, uh, you know, this is post-Babylon, and he had swept in. So here you have Greece now ruling as the nation, but then in the Maccabean revolt, the Jews take control of this area of land. Well, then you have the Romans come in under General Pompey and he kills 15,000 Jews. So they flee from the area of the Decapolis, 15,000. And it matters because, I mean, you know the disciples are like, we're going where? you're, You're taking us to the garrisons? That's where our field trip is today? You know they killed my grandfather, my great grandfather, like all of our, Hereditary has been killed there. That's where we're going. What are you doing? You said you've come to the lost sheep of Israel and we're going to the Gerasenes? Yes, you're gonna see why. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. You're gonna see there's a demon, 2,000 demons. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. He had supernatural strength because he was indwelt by supernatural evil. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying and cutting himself with stones. You see self-harm, suicides, tied to demonic, Satan's wanting to destroy this person. And when he saw Jesus from afar, by the way, another gospel says that he was naked, like unclothed, just he's unraveling. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. You have demons speaking from this man pleading with Jesus in the flesh, son of God. They, these demons rightly knew like there's God in flesh. So they fall before him. For he, Jesus, was saying him to him, the demoniac, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, the demon, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he, now we have the demon, begging Jesus earnestly not to send them out of the country. That's a big passage, but what you have here is authentic relationship. You've got authentic relationship with God and you've got authentic relationship with man. He's there with God in flesh and the disciples and they're seeing everything. The brother was not clothed. You have a naked madman filled with demons, scars all over him from cutting himself with stones and from being bound with shackles. And there he is just laid bare. And my point here is that if you do not have authentic relationships, your isolation will lead to deterioration. Your isolation from God and fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, will lead to deterioration. You see this man as a deteriorated shell of a man, now indwelt with every kind of evil, coming undone at the seams because he was isolated. 
from God and from other believers. And so he steps into the light, he pushes himself forward. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so here you have an authentic relationship with God. You're gonna confess to God and you're like, well, God's omniscient, he knows everything. Why do I have to confess to him? Luther, Martin Luther, great reformation, he called daily confession his daily baptism. Luther was like, well, I confess to God daily because he cleans me daily. That's what 1 John 1, 9 says. He forgives and he cleans. And then you have him laid bare before all of those other brothers in Christ. He's there having an authentic relationship with them as he comes to the shore. And this is where the Lord has given us to each other. Because if we isolate not just from God, but from our other brothers and sisters, then we also deteriorate. This is authentic relationships in the form of Christian community. And it's not easy, it's hard. Like Christian community, because you've got people who sin with life on life together, counseling each other, praying for each other, like it's clunky. Like Laura and I, we have hard things, hard seasons. Me and the kids, me and community group, coworkers, like that's just life. Just because we've trusted in Jesus doesn't mean everything's fine. And as I thought about this, I was thinking about, I, I, mean, I was born in 1975, so 80s music was like my anthem as my childhood. And I thought about this passage and I went right back to an 80s song. So anybody here who knows 80s rock, show of hands, I'm, I'm gonna need your help. Don't worry, you're not gonna get called up on stage. That's good, that's better than the nine. I think we got a younger crowd there. So I'm, I'm gonna give you a little teaser because what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna sing half a lyric and I need you guys to sing the second half of the lyric and I'm gonna step out on a limb here. Like you got to catch me. So I'm gonna narrow the field. This is John Cougar Mellencamp. Super cool name. I think he only had two cool songs. It's like, sorry for him, uh, but I'm being authentic. And you know I'm not singing Jack and Diane in church. So, so here we go. Sometimes love don't feel like it should. You make it. Yes. In my mind, it was gonna be good, I didn't know. You're like, no, it stunk, your singing's horrible. Hurts so good, like that's authentic relationships. It hurts so good, it's like, it's hard, but it's good, and the alternative is horrible because isolation leads to deterioration. I was talking to this guy, he's in his 30s, he's a fellow Berlin, serving in South Dallas in the Institute. We were talking, and I was like, how's it going? He's like, man, it's, it's hard, but, uh, I mean, I, I think it's really helping me. It's good for me, but man, it's tough. And I was like, yeah, it hurts so good, right? He's like, whoa, that's a really helpful phrase. And I was like, well, it's John Cougar Mellencamp. And he's like, who? <laughs> I was like, oh man, you're so young and I'm so old. This is the reality of living in Christian community, authentic relationship. Like it's hard to be fully honest with everything to share your deep, dark, and ugly, to share that thing that you thought you were gonna to take to the grave when in reality, it's taken you to the grave. But to bear your soul to the Lord and to other brothers and sisters in Christ, not for shame, that you could be loved and shepherded and cared for. Because when things are brought into the light, they dispel. And hear me say this, the depth of your sharing will directly correlate to the depth of your relationship. 
The depth of your sharing will directly correlate to the depth of your relationship. This is 1 John 1, 7, where it says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, meaning there's no shadows, nothing hidden in darkness, it doesn't say you'll be embarrassed or you'll be exposed or you'll be awkward. It says you will have fellowship with one another. If you walk in the light as he is in the light, you'll have fellowship with one another. And you're like, well, how's that not going to be awkward? Because it says, in the blood of Christ will cleanse you from all sin. You're going to be covered. Like, those things don't define you. Like, I don't care what you did last weekend or 10 years ago or whatever happened in your childhood. Like, you're forgiven. You're in Jesus. We can live authentically without condemnation and have deep fellowship. And the blood of Christ cleanses us from everything, everything. Hurts so good. It is hard, but it's healthy. It's humbling, but it's holy. And it's so healing. Live in authentic relationships. In verse 11, it says this. It says, now a great herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside. And they begged him. This is your demons begging Jesus. Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. You're like, he's not going to do that. He doesn't listen to demons. He does it. Now he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd numbering about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Y'all, I mean, when I used to read this, I'm like, why is Jesus doing favors for demons? Like why did, why was he willing I mean, he knew what was going to happen. He stands outside of time. He knew that they were going to destroy 2,000 pigs. What's going on? And I think what Jesus was doing is he was separating the problem from the person. And he's like, oh, you people of the Gerasenes, you think he was the problem. He's not the problem. The evil within is the problem. So I'm going to separate it so that he can be restored, that he can have dignity. He was made in the image of God, Imago Dei. He has worth and value. But you guys have now started to tie those together. He was chained with shackles and left for dead in a graveyard to die of hunger and die of thirst because they didn't know what to do with him. Talk about like a disregard for someone. But Jesus is like, no, I'm going to separate the problem from the person. And we've got to as well. That's how we would want to be treated. Like, hey, this doesn't define me, but I did something terrible last weekend. Slipped up with my girlfriend, boyfriend, looked at something I shouldn't have, did something at work that we would separate the problem from the person and love them. That's Jude 23, where he says, to others showing mercy, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. That's the problem, love and show mercy to the person, authentic relationships. Second, fully surrendered. Fully surrendered is following the spirit to transform and grow us. It says in Galatians 3 that this work of the gospel, it began by the Spirit and it will continue by the Spirit. That we're relying on and fully surrendered the Spirit to continue this work of transformation. It says the herdsmen fled and told it in the city in verse 14 and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. So they go away, the herdsmen that were taking care of the pigs, they run into the city. They bring all these people back and they're standing there looking down this cliff and they see 2,000 dead pigs. Like, sight to behold, one of the eeriest scenes that you have in the entire gospel. And there's a man that they used to know as incredibly wicked, and Jesus, who they've never seen before, in in his boat of followers. And it's like, what is going on here? And my point is this, that when you live a fully surrendered life, people are going to take notice, and things are going to die. 
people will take notice and those things that were previously in and around your life will die as Jesus separates you, the person, from your problems. There will be death. We were up at Regen once, me and a buddy, James Romero, who works on the Dallas Fire Department, and he was serving in first-time guests. And he texted me and he said, hey, there's this guy, change of name for the story. He's like, this, this guy, Charles, who's here? Did you meet him? I was like, oh yeah, he came, great. I met him, I told him to come to Regen. He's like, well, he's telling me he's got something pretty bad in his trunk and that he needs to get rid of it. And I was like, all right, well, let's, let's help him out. Let's get rid of it. He's like, I'll, I'll be down in a second. So I go there, me and James, we go over to the guy's car. Or no, I walked out. I was standing right there under the overhang. And, and here's the picture of James. James has got these two black boxes. And James is a strong dude. Y'all, what was in those boxes was 50 pounds of porn. DVDs, magazines, you name it. And this guy, Charles, in full surrender was like, I don't want anymore. Like I got everything out of my house. I don't want it anymore, but I don't, know what, I don't know what to do with it. And I was like, well, we can't just like put it in the trash can in town center. That could go really bad. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, oh, there's a dumpster. Here, let's walk over to this dumpster. It's like Watermark's construction dumper, dumpster. And so we, James, like carrying this like 50 pounds of porn. Here's Charles, me, we're walking. We get to the dumpster and, and, and James is about to put it in. I was like, hold on, hold on a second. Hey, Charles, I think you need to throw that in there. He's like, okay. And so James takes one of the boxes. Charles got it. And I was like, you ready? And he goes, Boom! Slams into the back of the dumpster, drops to the ground. He grabs the second one, and then just starts weeping, weeping. And we put our arms around him. And he's like, I've never felt so free in my life. People take notice and things die when you are fully surrendered. He was already a believer. He's now fully surrendered. And there's dead pigs, porn, laying here. <laughs> the next day, David Kenny, who shared his testimony two weeks ago, he <laughs> shared that story and he goes, oh man, I was wondering. We were like throwing stuff in the dumpster and saw all this porn in there. <laughs> He's like, man, somebody got free. He's like, yes, they did. Verse 15, it says, and they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, man, M-A-N, man. It's a problem. It's a problem that it says man and not men. Because in Matthew's gospel, Matthew records, oh no, there were, there were two of them. Mark's just following the path of this one because he's fully surrendered. Matthew tells us, no, there were, there were two. There were two men that were demon-possessed living among the tombs. He's given a different vantage point. As Mark follows the individual, Matthew's telling it holistically. My point is this, because the one, he was, he was delivered, but he wasn't surrendered. But the surrendered one, we know a lot about, and he bore fruit. The one who was delivered but not surrendered, it's like, well, he was saved, but that's kind of about it. The rest of his life, maybe it was squandered. But we know that the one who surrendered did not squander. And so there's a difference between being fully saved and fully surrendered. There's a difference between being healed and being healthy. 
Laura was healed of breast cancer and she now lives healthy as a result. Like she didn't have to, she used to feast on like hot wings and big red in college. She's now changed her eating habits. She's been healed and she now wants to live healthy. It's the same as being saved and now being led. You can be saved by Jesus and still live according to the flesh. That's a carnal Christian of 1 Corinthians 5. Or you can be saved and then daily led by the spirit. Paul says, I die daily, that we would daily take up our cross and follow Jesus to not only be saved, but be surrendered and be led and now so bear fruit. You'll be Lord of your life daily or you'll be led by Jesus daily. Be Lord or be led daily. Christ will either be exalted or you will be exhausted. And it comes through full surrender. Verse 15b, it says, the one who had the legion sitting there clothed in his right mind and they were afraid. He's sitting, there's a position of humility. He's clothed now, he was naked, now he's clothed, that's dignity. And he's in his right mind, which is sanity. There's been a transformed renewing of the mind. Jesus has given him dignity and there is humility. As I'd like thought about this passage, my parents used to have this amazing golden doodle. He has since died. His name was Bob, but he wasn't always amazing. Like when he was a puppy, little guy, but then he got into like, you know, teenage years of doghood. And, and I'd come to Missouri to visit my parents. They were in their sixties at the time. And this dog would rear up and like put its paws up and it's looking me eye to eye. Like this was a monster doodle, not a golden doodle. It was huge. And that's like kind of a problem when a dog is that big and, and doesn't like do what it's supposed to do. And so one particular time that I was visiting in Missouri and my mom was like, don't share the story. I don't think it's right. I was like, well, I'm going to. So I was like, okay, I can't have, you know, we got kids, I can't have this dog. Like he needs, he needs to know who's who. And so it started to do that thing again and I grabbed it by the scruff of its neck and don't call PETA. I, I like, I'm not Caesar, but I, I did good here. I grabbed it by the struck of the neck, not in a rude way, I didn't slam him down, but I pushed him down against his own will and strength. And so he's laying there and you think like, okay, so you got him to subdue? And I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, we're, not, we're not done yet. Then I bite his neck. <laughs> we're not done yet. As I'm biting his neck, I start growling. <laughs> and then I go, <laughs> Like I'm shaking him. <laughs> this poor dog is just like. <laughs> but you know what? I like, I sat up and I was like, now what's up? And Bob was like, very slowly got up. Dude, that dog loved me. It would stay by my side. It, like we, we, we had a thing, me and Bob, because Bob now knew his place. He knew his role. He knew that he was not alpha and that I guess I was, but I'm not. But that's exactly, like Bob had already been my parents' dog. He was redeemed from wherever they got him. They were his, he was theirs. But he was not surrendered. So he was theirs, but he wasn't surrendered. We can be gods, but be not surrendered and we can cause trouble. We can hurt people, like do what we shouldn't do until the Lord disciplines those who he loves, like in a sense, gets us by the neck and is like, hey, you're, you're not in charge and you're hurting yourself and others. And I'm gonna get you to submit out of love. 
And then when I come back up, dude, Bob was the best dog ever. And uh, you can have a transformed life by having a surrendered life. And we can be fully surrendered because he is fully sovereign. Like that's a scary thought, like full surrender. Like, man, then, I mean, like I'm, I need to keep a lot of things in control and that gives me a lot of anxiety if I'm just like open-handed, like, okay, Lord, like fully surrendered, not my will, your will be done, like Jesus in the garden, but man, are you sure you're gonna come through? He's fully sovereign, so we can fully surrender. And control's an illusion, it's a mirage. We have none. And so you fear God and thus nothing else. Leave it all to him. Authentic relationships, fully surrendered, and now we're gonna see courageous faith. Courageous faith, this is living according to gospel truth no matter what the cost. Verse 16, and those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. The man's been saved, delivered of demons, and he is now begging Jesus, let me go with you. And all throughout Jesus' ministry, he's like, leave your nets and follow me, leave your tax collector booth and follow me, let the dead bury the bed and follow me. And then the demon, the demoniac is like, hey, let me follow you. And the Lord tells him, no, just crazy. But he says, I wanna follow you. He's known him for all of like, what, five to 10 minutes? I don't know how long it took him to cast out 2,000 demons, clothe them, have them seated. But it's a short amount of time. He didn't know very little about Jesus. And he's like, I want to go with you. I want to go with you. And what I would say to you here is, I think we concern ourselves so much with where and how and all we need to concern ourselves like the demoniac is a courageous faith of say, no, it's just with. It's not where. It's not how, God. Like, where are you going to lead me in? How are you going to do this? It's with. He begged Jesus, that he might go with him. Like, if I'm going with you, I don't care where we go. I don't care how you're going to do it. I don't care when you're going to do it because I'm with you. And therefore, I'm okay. It's a courageous faith to step out and be like, because I'm with you, I'm okay. There's a quote by Clovis Chapel, who was a long time ago, like turn of the century Methodist preacher. He said this, God owns all. He owns me. He owns my home, he owns my children, he owns my property. He says, I've called this, called your attention before to the fact that the modern idea of ownership is pagan. The Christian idea is this, that God is the absolute owner of all things. And as a result, this courageous faith that's like, I'm gonna follow you no matter what the cost. Loss of reputation, loss of job, loss of opportunity, loss of finances. Like, I'm going to follow you because I know who I'll be with. It's a courageous faith, and this is really important. Listen to me, please. This courageous faith is not lived out by grit. It is lived out by grace. Because we can try to be like, all right, courageous faith, like, all right, boot 
bootstrap. Let's do this. Let's go. I got this. And it's like, no, 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 no. Courageous faith is not in you having courage. Courageous faith is having the audacity to think like, man, God, you can do anything. I have courageous faith in you, not in me. Not like, okay, I'm going to step out. I'll go big. But instead it's like, no, I have a courageous faith in you that you part seas, that you raise the dead, that you cast out demons, that you heal, that you restore marriages. I have a courageous faith that you can do all things with man is impossible, but God, all things are possible. My faith is in you, which gives me courage. You two that like that, I'm, I'm thankful. <laughs> that was for you. <laughs> no, I think we need to do more of that. Man, it makes me excited. By grace, not grit. That's courageous faith. And then finally, missional living. Missional living. This is that our lives, our resources, our time, our giftings, that all of it is now given for the spreading of the gospel, for the gospel and the glory of God. It's a, you're, we're dandelions. You're like, what? A, a flower that's like, all right, I mean, it's there, but it's gonna be gone tomorrow. Or if it dies, whew, spreads. But that you've been saved to be sent as we lay down our lives that God can use us out of that courageous faith, into missional living, living that others might hear of the good news of Jesus Christ. That because we were saved, they can be too. Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and always. In this verse, it's 19 through 20. This is the conclusion of the passage. It says, here's the missional living. Listen to this value. Listen to Jesus speaking missional living into this man who had just been saved. And he did not permit him. Imagine the disheartening feeling of the demoniac, like, wait, what? You're gonna leave me here with these? These people tried to kill me. These people left me for dead in a graveyard. I just wanna go with you. Like, he says, no. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord, which was a statement of deity, like, how much the Lord, Jesus was saying, I'm God in flesh. I've come for you. How much, you tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Here's his missional living. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis. That means that's 10 cities. It doesn't say he went away to proclaim in the Gerasenes. It says he went away to proclaim in the Decapolis. That'd be like, he went away to proclaim in Waco, Austin, Houston, San Antonio, Dallas, Red Oak, like he covered it, that region. How much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. And so here's the thing, Jesus tells him no. And I think it's really instructive for us in our missional living. Because sometimes we've got like wrong values. We have misguided desires. Jesus said no to him. That was his desire. That was, that was what he wanted. Like, you've restored me. I want to go with you. He said no. We've got to learn to trust God's no's because he knows. Learn to trust God's no's because he knows he's doing something. He is up to something. And so we trust him. Like, okay, you're after something more than what I can envision. Like, I think it'd be good for me to go with you. You're telling me to go back there where they wanted me dead? Yes. 
I'm gonna trust your no because I trust that you know. There's a guy named Frank. I shouldn't say was in past tense. There is a guy named Frank. He worked at Sky Ranch and he heard about the porch because we were going out there to have retreats, young adult team. And so he started driving an hour and a half just to attend the porch on Tuesday nights, this awesome young adult guy. And that's a lot of drive. That's three hours drive time for an hour and a half event. Like that's, that's commitment. But he's like, man, I was fed there. So when Sky Ranch said, hey, you can live from in Dallas if you want. He's like, okay, then I'm gonna move to Dallas, still work for Sky, and I'm gonna attend Watermark. Continued with the porch, then went through regeneration um, to be more discipled and grow in his love for the Lord. Then he applied for East West. East West is a missionary organization to the ends of the earth. He got taken on as a missionary and Frank, who I can't use his last name or tell you where he's going because Frank goes to closed countries to tell people who have never, ever heard the spoken name of Jesus, where he could be persecuted, put in prison, or even killed for doing so. This missional living out of courageous faith and a surrendered life. The demoniac, he goes back to tell others all the Lord had done for him, and it says the people were amazed. Well, they couldn't have been very amazed if he just like waltzes back into the capitalist and they're like, wow, Bob, you look better today. Uh, Bob was the dog. Hey, Jim, you look better today. And be like, yeah, I kind of, you know, I got things in order. Like, I'm, I'm good now. They would have been like, oh, cool, good for you. Instead, they were amazed. He had to have told them the past for them to be amazed by his present. And so I think that brother probably rolled up his sleeves and said, let me show you the scars where I used to cut myself with stones day and night. I lived naked among the tombs. Here's from where the shackles that they they left me for dead, but but I wrenched them apart. But I met a man, met a man. Because everyone in this world has sin, but they don't have a savior, not everyone. So you have a common ground with every single person that you'll ever encounter, like, hey, I have and had certainly sin. I now have a savior. I know that you have sin. You may not have a savior. And so that we can live on mission just like the demoniac, living out that value of missional living. And here it is. The demoniac, his devastation was his preparation for his proclamation. Like that's what gave him a platform to share the hope of Jesus Christ. He didn't need Jesus apart from his devastation. But when he would go to the Decapolis and say, man, here I was a man destroyed, like dead within, evil within, that's his devastation. That was the preparation that he would have something to proclaim. It says he proclaimed. It's the same Greek word that is used of Paul for preached. He was preaching the forgiveness of sins, the restoration that Jesus brought, the mercy, the restoration. There's an old Puritan named Thomas Brooks. And Brooks uh, said this peculiar thing to me. I was reading, and it says, uh, the Pharisees had negative righteousness. I'm like, negative righteousness? What is that? Like, righteousness is good. It's, it's always positive. Well, he calls negative righteousness when you, when you don't do what you shouldn't do. And so the Pharisees were all about, like, hey, I, I, don't, I don't, you know, whatever we would say, like, I don't get drunk, I don't look at porn, I don't smoke, I don't steal. That, that, he says that's negative righteousness. And it's like, okay, good. What about your positive righteousness? Like, it's not about you. 
You've been saved to be sent. So what about go and make disciples of all nations? What about giving? What about laying down your life? Like great that you don't do those things. What about the things that you don't do that you're supposed to do? The missional living. And oh, brothers and sisters, that we wouldn't be marked by negative righteousness and we should have some of that but it should be equally matched by the positive righteousness of living on mission and doing what we should do. James writes and he says, if you know the good you ought to do and you do not do it, for you it is sin. It's a sin of omission rather than commission. We have uh, one final example of missional living. Um, this girl in our community group named Beth, who is an extreme introvert, who can really relate to my wife because she's an introvert. And by the way, for you introverts in the room, this is funny. I'll tell people, yeah, Laura's an introvert. And they're like, oh, I wouldn't have guessed so. I mean, she loves people. <laughs> I'm like, what? Just because you're an introvert doesn't mean you lo don't love people. Like, that's great. It just means that the extroverts are like parasites feeding on your energy. <laughs> and, and all the introverts said, amen. You got to pull back and restore a little bit. And so Beth, introvert, gives my wife, introvert, this coffee mug. Check it out. This is the mug she gave Laura. <laughs> so now you know a little bit more about Beth. Well, Beth, last year, a year ago, was like, I feel like the Lord's calling me to have a Bible study on a weekday really early in the morning. Well, that's not what she wants to do. She's got four kids. Like, that's not, she's not like bursting at the seams to bounce out of bed and be an extrovert all of a sudden, but she does. She's like, I feel like the Lord's calling me this. I'm going to open my home, have a women's Bible study. So seven women that she knew came. Well, here we are a year later. They've been through Daniel and 1 Corinthians, and they just keep going through books. They read, they talk about it, they pray. It's now 30 women. But the 30 women, it chokes me up. There are unbelievers there. There are women who are in cults that are there. And they're hearing the spoken word of God, seeing the gospel lived out, and being prayed for. She's living on mission. And Jesus, it's so simple, right? Like it doesn't even cost anything. She just opened her house, texted some people, and then God spread it, God grew it. But the one who embodies the values even more than the demoniac is Jesus. Jesus embodies those values and he did it for you. And so authentic relationship, to be fully known and fully loved, this God, Jesus takes on flesh that he could be fully known. Jesus says, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. He makes himself known, reveals himself to mankind. And then in full surrender, Jesus in the garden, if possible, let this cup pass. Not my will, your will be done. Full surrender. Courageous faith, he set his face like flint to Jerusalem. Someone says, hey, not you, Lord, don't do that. He says, get behind me, Satan. This courageous faith of like, I have come at whatever the cost to lay down my life for sinners that they might be saved and reconciled to God. Missional living left heaven, came to earth on our behalf. And so like the demoniac, very much like the demoniac, here you have you in a place of evil, 
And Jesus leaves where he is and goes through that sea of separation of God's holiness and our sin on a vessel of wood where he laid down in a boat and took a nap. Now he would lay himself down upon a cross. That would be the vessel by which he would pass through sin and death to reach us on the other side, crossing through for us. Jesus went for the one. He came for one person, the demoniac, that he might be saved, got back in the boat and went to go save more. And so he stands now on the shores of eternity, having passed through on that vessel of the cross, died and raised again that you could have eternal life, asking, do you want to be saved? That today could be your day of salvation to place your faith in Jesus and be cleansed from every evil within, set free, and not just set free, that your life would be used to share that same hope that you can receive today with every other person that you ever come in contact with. Authentic relationships, fully surrendered, courageous faith and missional living. I told you about that punk teen at the beginning and how Miss Clemmy lived out the four values, lived out the values to reach him, how he's a member of our body. Well, it didn't stop with Miss Clemmy. There was another person who lived by courageous faith who thought, you know what? I believe that when I pray, God answers. And so this individual's mom, he was graduating from high school, which was amazing, given his track record. He's graduating from high school and his mom prays, God, what would you have me give him for his graduation gift? Which, first of all, who does that? Like, we just like, okay, I'll give him a, write him a check, give him money, like, new suit, watch, whatever. This faithful mom is like, Lord, what do you want me to give him? She feels like she hears the Lord say, get him a guitar. Kid had no musical background. It's like, a guitar, really? For graduation? Well, that young boy is now a man, and he now leads us in worship every Sunday. He's our worship pastor, John Abel. Because some people... <clears throat> because Miss Clemmy lived on mission, because his mama had a courageous faith. And now he leads us in worship and praise to the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, you are incredible. Those hand claps, Lord, are, are our astonishment at you. <laughs> at you, our faith is in you. If we have courageous faith, let it be courageous because it's a belief in you, not because we are courageous but to have the courage to believe that you make all things new. Lord, take us from spiritual narcissism to live on mission. And that we would get real with you and with each other to be free and live in full surrender. They would no longer be a liability to others, but to be a servant leader. And so Lord, as we stand and sing, we are singing our hearts out to you. You alone, you alone are worthy of praise. We love you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for crossing the sea of sin and death for us. Amen.